Dan Learning, the Alumni Voices podcast. I'm your host, Josh Van Campen, and in studio today, we've got Tessa Maroney, recent PhD grad. Tessa, good morning. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Josh. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we can talk about your research project and I guess in inverted commas, keeping athletes cool. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about your research project? Yeah, so the last four years um, I've been investigating you know, practical cooling methods for um, athletes performing in the heat. So we looked at a few new methods such as that of hand cooling, which had previously been done in a lot of firefighting and military services. Um, and therefore we thought, well, we'd seen it being used in a few highest um, elite sporting environments such as NBA, FIFA, soccer, but there was absolutely no research to suggest that it was working and, and our AFL teams wanted to know so um so yeah we decided to i decided to do the research so we've you know put athletes in the heat chamber heated them up made them you know exercise pretty much so they can't go anymore and then cooled them down prior to exercise during exercise and also following exercise so across three studies um we've assessed a different um cooling in, um, with the hand cooling compared to current methods such as ice jackets which are pretty common in team sport um, and just provide an alternative for athletes to use, you know, when they're performing in the heat. How does a conversation like this start? Because <laughs> um, you said the AFL teams were interested in wanting to f- find out more. Yeah, yeah. So is this something that's built up over time or is it just, you know, you, you're grabbing a coffee with someone and just like, oh, we need more of this. Yeah, no, I was lucky. My supervisor, Brian Dawson, he's been, you know, in the high performance and physiology team at West Coast, um, you know, for the last few decades mm. so yeah good links there and, and he was the one who was approached by the you know cooling glove company so we thought yeah i would be the one to do the research and we've been able to disseminate that to team sport and then the most recent study to more endurance sports so cyclists and triathletes and such so yeah it's been a good spread so probably a question you get asked a lot mm. why a phd because as you said the last four years it's basically been your life hasn't it yeah, um, the fastest four years of my life and probably the best as well. Um, went really quick. You know, yeah, I've been in uni for eight years now. So following the undergrad, did honours, which was another year. Um, yeah, pretty much just fell in love with research and physiology. And I did that project in a clinical group, but knew, you know, I wanted to come back to elite sport. That's kind of the environment I'd been around since a really young age. And yeah, just wanted to progress that and do another four years. Yeah, because you were an elite athlete. You know, you moved to Perth from Albany. You're yeah. a high, high jumper. Yeah. You know, what was like life like moving from Albany to Perth? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was basically around sport. Yeah. You know, did you, you know, did you miss your family, your friends? You know, what were your goals as well? Because my guess is that you're moving to Perth to yourself as an athlete not necessarily around higher education yeah. in the future yeah absolutely yeah and i left a pretty crucial time going into year 12 it was the day before year 12 started in albany and i just said to mom look i don't want to go to school tomorrow i need to go to Perth." <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> went straight up and then i ended up living with my coach um for that year because yeah they were able to you know take me to the good school and um and you know it was easy for training every single day so I was really lucky I was looked after for that year and yet yeah, just became about completing year 12 um but also had access to the facilities and training mm-hmm. every day so yeah it was really good good move it's a pretty ballsy move to say to your mum <laughs> day before year 12 starts yeah I don't want to go to school tomorrow I know <laughs> do you because you've got a younger sister as well did your sister yeah. pull that move as well no, she decided six months later, it was a bit slow of her, she thought about it and then came up six <laughs> months later. But realistically, I always said I'd do it. I wish I did it 
earlier, maybe year 10, so I had a few years, but we made it work. You know, we travelled from Albion to Perth pretty much every weekend to train and compete. Um, but yeah, being in Perth was certainly a lot easier for travel as well. Can you share with the listeners as well what your career was like as a, as a high jumper, the, I guess, the tournaments and stuff that you're in, involved in? Yeah, so through school... Sorry, the meets. I shouldn't say tournaments, the meets. Yeah, the athletics meets, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, through school, you'd have state championships, national championships, and a lot of intercontinental ones as well. So, yeah, throughout the athletic season, um, yeah, I would, from Albany, come to Perth and have to fly all around the country, you know, most capital cities throughout the season. Every weekend, there'd be a different meet, um, and then got to travel to, like, Singapore, Malaysia, New Zealand, Italy, and, and perform as well, um, you know, in, in, like, junior world champs and, yeah. and Oceania competitions. So, so did you get to enjoy these places as well? Because I know I was, I was talking with the UWA grad who's an Olympian, I won't mention her name, but yeah. she was a swimmer. She would go to all these amazing countries, yet would never actually be able to be a tourist. It's just mm. basically fly in, do your job, fly out. Was that a yeah. similar thing or did you actually get to enjoy? A couple of them, like the longer trips, yeah, we'd spend, you know, a week there, you'd do a few training days before and you'd go with the team um, because we were juniors, so mm. they'd be parents and stuff. So you got to have a few fun days. But around Australia, yeah, like, you know, you'd be in and out of Sydney in, in two days or mm. whatever. So it was always pretty quick, yeah. So what was life like as an elite athlete, as a uni student as well? Yeah, so then starting uni, I commence the training you know every morning I'd be at training from nine till midday you know try to fit my classes in the afternoons um so it worked I'm a pretty organized person and I was able to juggle it all um and certainly just needed that in my life because that was my goal um and then yeah I had a pretty bad injury so but I still maintained the training you know up and probably until my honors year pretty seriously and so what was the bad injury I uh, broke my ankle playing net muck yeah. around netball yes here at UWA so <laughs> It <laughs> wasn't a good time. <laughs> Silly mistake. But, um, yeah, I still managed to train and, you know, get to the top level. But just in a competition, it wasn't viable. Now, let's go back to your research because, yeah. you know, it's based around the heat exhaustion. Did you suffer any heat exhaustion as an athlete as well, yourself? Uh, not so much suffer because I'm not really an endurance athlete. But um, we would be out there all summer, you know, three hours a day mm -hmm. from nine till 12 in the blazing sun, you know, sprinting, running up hills, plyos, whatever, training. So, yeah, we were exposed to it. I absolutely loved it. Been my favourite conditions to train in. But, yeah, it was pretty taxing. You know, every day you'd want to go home and have a big sleep. But is it because part of your research, I guess you mentioned it's important saving athletes from themselves as well. Did you ever have to be saved from yourself from all the overtraining? Uh, I mean, overtraining, yeah, you'd... Yeah, over training you would uh, become pretty tired after a, a big week and a big block. You know, you'd have rest weeks every, you know, three or four weeks um, where you'd back off and recover. But, yeah, a few competitions as well. Um, really, really hot overseas competing in Singapore and stuff. Mm -hmm. You're out there for hours and, and, yeah, it can become pretty tedious and, and, yeah, pretty hot. Now let's talk about your role as a physiologist has also allowed you to work with many groups of people, not just elite athletes. Mm -hmm. It includes children, cancer survivors and large-scale construction companies. Mm -hmm. Can you share how your role has allowed you to engage with such a diverse group of people? Yeah, I've really enjoyed, um, like I mentioned, my honours research was with cancer survivors. So it was a clinical group, really different learn, learn a lot. Uh, then I work with athletes pretty much my whole PhD, but throughout that I've tried to take on as many opportunities as possible to try and give mm. me a broader skill set. So I've worked, you know, in the private sector as well, um, being a physiology consultant, um, you know, with this large scale mining construction companies where we would go out and assess all the all the workers, um, you know, and how they were performing at work and their health factors, and a lot of them are, you know, probably not. Um, 
the fittest human beings to be operating heavy machinery. So again, that's a pretty big health risk. Um, and then, yeah, I've worked on a lot of clinical trials here in the uni um, with elderly people, with young children with disabilities. So it's just been really great to um, be exposed to so many different groups. So there's no real same day for you, is it? It's a different yeah. day. Yeah, a different day every day. Um, teaching a lot as well. Absolutely love engaging with the students and, and you know, supervising a couple of honours students as well. It's just been so great. What's it like supervising the honours students? Because, you know, you're still pretty young yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, my first honours student was my first PhD, my first year of my PhD as well. So she was like two years younger than me. Um, but it's really good. I love building a big team um, and where I can, I will take on students so they can learn from me. I learn from them as well. They really help me out in terms of testing. It's always a massive process. Um, and then, yeah, it just practice as well, you know, writing papers and, you know, doing the more supervisory roles. Yeah, I was just wondering, has it made you, I guess, it, not only with the supervising a better teacher, but also a better researcher being exposed to, I guess, the honour students during your PhD? Yeah, it really, you know, I get extra practice of, you know, designing research methods, thinking about how study will work, helping them do the stats mm. and then writing up papers. So certainly has benefited me, which is definitely why I've taken it on. Uh, <laughs> in regards to volunteering, for you, how important is volunteering? Because in your field, mm -hmm. there is a lot of time that people have to give up yeah. to make it into, especially in the sport, in the elite athlete industry. Absolutely. Yeah. How important is it? And, you know, do you agree you need to volunteer your time towards something you're passionate about as well? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, like you said, this, this field is quite difficult and there are a lot of grads in Perth. All the unis are doing sports science now. And so to make yourself stand out, I think the most important thing I tell my students is, yeah, you find what you're passionate about and, you know, ask to work with that person and put yourself... Um, in there because ultimately they'll look at your experience mm. rather than your qualifications. So yeah, I volunteered and you know some things I still, you know, do just if I think it's going to help my skill set. So during my third year of uni, I did my practicum um, at the Institute of Sports. That was great. Um, and then I also did a completely different thing and went up north and um, worked with the Department of Sport and Rec in the Indigenous communities doing sports programs as well. So wow. again, another huge range of you know, experiences which I've just thought have helped me. And how did you get those opportunities? We're pretty lucky at Sports Science. We have the units um, in third year that enable you to go out and do these pranks. So we do have heaps and heaps of contacts and, yeah, I currently help coordinate that unit as well. <laughs> so send all the students out to pretty much, you know, anything they want to do. If they want to go to a school, if they want to go to a sporting environment, um, we're really lucky we're able to do that. And I think that's so important. With you being, I guess, coordinating that now, do you have to give some advice to some students to kind of manage expectations as well? Yeah, they, yeah, you definitely need to be realistic. After three years of undergrad, you're probably not going to come out and get your dream job straight away. So I try to be as realistic as possible and just really emphasise that it's that experience and, you know, the willingness and your keenness that you show your supervisors on prac, mm. they're going to want to hire you after that. Now, I'm curious, how important is it to have a mentor? Because, you know, as your role when you were, I guess, you, you are supervising those honour mm. students, but you are being a bit of a mentor to mm. them as well. How important is it to have a mentor in your line of research? Yeah, so important. I think what really inspired me to continue research in the school was that we had such great mentors throughout our undergraduate mm. and then my subsequent honours degree. So the staff are all so fantastic. So I've been really lucky to pick really good mentors in my supervisors who are basically like family now and have given me so many opportunities. Um, and so I feel like I've tried to give back and mm. I try to then mentor my students, which, you know, I teach them from first year to third year and by that third year I know them all pretty personally yep. and it's a really, really nice environment. So 
That's what I try to do. Now, everything you've done is basically turned to gold. <laughs> Has there been times when things haven't necessarily worked out apart from, you know, breaking your ankle playing <laughs> mixed netball? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what, have, there, have there been any, any lows for you? No, absolutely. I think, especially in research, when things go wrong, that, that's what makes you learn more. So, mm. if your project was absolutely perfect, I feel like you wouldn't learn very much at all. So... Yeah, things go wrong all the time. You get athletes coming in and their core temperature pills don't work or the climate chamber breaks. And it's constantly, it's months of stress every day. Things are going wrong. So, yeah, by that third study, I was really good at thinking on my feet, always yeah. have an alternative. But it was the things that went wrong which made my experience more worthwhile. And, yeah, yeah and, and doing a PhD as well, you know, it, it's lonely at times. You're by yourself. Mm. Um, but, again, you know, just try to surround myself. How do you manage those stress levels? Because, you know, you can always prepare for the worst, but yeah. you get pretty frustrated when it actually happens. Yeah, I think just always being aware that something could go wrong means you're kind of always ready to go. But, yeah, I've learned to manage it. Um, I think that's probably one of my strengths that I have gained and that I've used and, mm. and grown throughout the PhD. I'm pretty good at managing stress, as shown by kind of all the work that I take on alongside. But, um yeah, I think I thrive in a stressful environment. I certainly work better when I'm under pressure. It was how much pressure were you under as in, when you were basically a full time athlete? Uh, yeah, I forget. But um, <laughs> I think those first because it was undergrad kind of probably cruised through a bit yeah. too much. It wasn't until that third year that I really pulled my finger out and figured out I had to work hard if I wanted to get into research. Um, but yeah, like undergrad is the best time of your life. I did my sport. I had great friends at uni. And I think that just by the end of your undergrad, I, you know, try to tell my students, you know, it's okay if you don't know what you want to do. You should just be kind of inspired from what mm. the last three years has been and then jump into the next thing. Well, do you know what you want to do? I, yes, I'd like to stay in the field. Obviously, after four years of this research, I thought I would absolutely hate it by the end. But yeah. It's quite the opposite. I couldn't be more motivated to continue well. um, in this field. You know, exercise in the heat is kind of becoming a public health issue. Climates are getting hotter. Um, competitions over the next few years are pretty scary. So every physiologist is trying to prepare their athletes. So, yeah, so, so can you talk, touch on, I guess, the, the sporting events that are coming up, the tournaments that yeah. people are a little bit worried about because we've got Tokyo Olympics mm -hmm. in 2020, which yep. is... I guess not the real long. reason, not, lo not long away at all. Yeah. And that's, I guess, kind of the basis of your PhD research, wasn't it? Yeah, it's kind of all um, culminated at the right time. And the last study that we did, um, yeah, we published in a special issue regarding Tokyo and was able to give some uh, practical feedback in terms of that. But, yeah, I mean, we've got the Athletics World Championships in Doha next month um, and then Soccer World Cups also in Doha in a few years as well. So, yeah... You know, athletes need to take it really seriously and be prepared. You know, in Tokyo last year, during the same week when the Olympics is held, there was a heat wave and it killed 65 people in the general public. So when athletes wow. are performing in the heat, you know, especially those endurance events, they've they've altered the times mm. of a lot of the starting times um, to start earlier in the morning, but still it's really hard to then prepare for that. And, yeah, we're just going to be, be interesting. I don't think there'll be any world records in endurance events next year. Okay. <laughs> So is there is there a dream job for you out there? Is there someone where you're like, that is exactly what I want? Or is it more of a case of, I just want to be in this field and let's just see where it goes? Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm not sure about the dream job. I think, you know, just working with people and surrounding yourself with a group, good 
good teams. So yeah, ideally, you know, next I'd like to mm. potentially move overseas and, and look at working with a new team. There's so many good heat research groups around the world. So I have so much more to learn, you know, mm. from other groups and how to apply that across different fields. So heat research, you know, I was lucky enough to work on a study with Dr. Fiona Wood last year and we did a simulated burn surgery in the heat because wow. we operate in the hot environment. So, you know, surgeons are like elite athletes, they're performing in the heat and probably just, probably more important than saving someone's life. So really the impact of this research is so translational, you know, next I'd like to see how I can apply it to military and um, there's a lot of good groups working with that as there's, well. There's no way... From my end, is that when you would think about doing a PhD, you thought you'd be working with the likes of Fiona Wood and the military? No, absolutely not. No, not at all. Um, but it's just gone to show how how big this the field of mm. heat is and how important it is. You know, even just down to the general public. Is it also a great opportunity for you to share and teach, I guess, current students about setting expectations and just enjoying the journey? Because mm. I think for a lot of us when we're in our undergrad and then moving through to honours and masters and PhDs and stuff where you do have that dream job mm-hmm. in mind and you know you kind of feel like you have to stay in your lane do you feel mm-hmm. like there was opportunity there was times where you thought no I know exactly what I want and you mm-hmm. may have ignored those opportunities that you wish you took or did you go nah I'm taking every opportunity to learn I think yeah the latter I probably in the beginning like from a young age I knew I always wanted to be an elite sport um but I've seen the wider breadth of it mm. now in my research. And yeah, I've tried to take that approach specifically the last few years and tried to grab at every opportunity that was relevant and that would help me. Definitely. I think that's so important. Let's touch on technology. Mm-hmm. How much has it changed since you've been at university? And do you kind of think about what the future is going to hold when it comes to research and technology? Like how much of an impact is technology having on your line of work? Um, In terms of my research, you know, I don't know, there's a lot more uh, devices which we can, you know, monitor and measure our health and our fitness and our our responses to things such as heat um, that we didn't have before. Mm. You know, you've got all these smartwatches, you've got new core temperature pills which we give athletes and they're able to you know go run their marathon and we can download their data and see how they work. Can can you elaborate more on those (laughs) on those pills? Yeah yeah so for me for measuring our athletes core temperature um, we give them ingestible pills so they swallow them they're like the size of a jelly bean by the time they come in for testing you know should be sitting down in their gut so we're able to pick up a signal and measure how hot they are inside so there's plenty of other older methods such as measuring through your ear rectal um, temperature which is probably the most accurate but Mm. athlete retention is not that great when you're trying to recruit so (laughs) yeah the um the use of the pills has been really good and now they've created new ones which have data loggers in them and then we can download the data later so we can actually use them in competition which i think is going to be really interesting they're not dissolvable pills are they no no they will come out but (laughs) one use only very expensive too so can you say how much they cost yeah they cost like 85 bucks each so when you're doing four trials for 12 participants that's yeah what's the budget for things like this yeah like we're lucky we get a um well when you do a PhD at UWA you get given a budget Um, but yeah things are going to cost more you need to then apply for grants and get Mm. external funding as well so that's why it's good to link up with people in industry Um, and there's so many grants that go around through the university as well so yeah any bit kind of definitely helps. Now last question if you could give one piece of advice to a first year student what would it be? Probably don't 
um, try to take it too seriously. You know, enjoy it. University is absolutely the best time of your life. The friends I've made through my undergrad are my friends for life now. Um, and yeah, just every every pursuit is an opportunity. So take it, you know, be present, you know, involve yourself where you can, go to things, come to classes, come to your labs, go to your lectures, you're gonna meet friends. Um, and I think I've just been re- really lucky in the sports science department. It has this culture of a really great environment and students really enjoy their time. So. And w- what about if, sh- if someone wants to do a PhD, what's, th- what's the one bit of advice you'd give them? Think about it carefully. Um, but the most important thing would be choose your mentors, your supervisors wisely. You know. I recently saw a quote on Twitter that was, you know, choosing your supervisor for your PhD should be as important as choosing your spouse. So they're the person <laughs> you're going to spend the most time with. Um, I've been incredibly lucky. My supervisors are so supportive. I haven't had any issues, but that would be the most important thing. They're the ones who get you through it. And um, how is a simple case of research meetings? How does someone do that? Yeah, I mean, through, re- yeah, having meetings, you know, you probably have a pretty good idea from undergrad if they've taught you, if you want to work well with them. Sometimes it takes students, you know, unfortunately they'll go through a year and figure Mm. it out before they might want to swap. I was lucky to hit the jackpot. Um, But yeah, I think that would be the most important thing. And really make a point of, um, you know, having a work-life balance as Mm. well. I think that's how I've got through it. I've planned holidays. I've tried to, you know, set boundaries outside of work as well. Otherwise, I, you know, probably would have got myself in a bit of a hole. No, it's good. <laughs> well, it's good. It's good advice, and really good, good that sharing that because the work-life yeah. balance is such a key, yeah, key to absolutely. key to all. Now, Tessa, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing what the future holds for you. Thank but you uh, so we'll much. we'll be in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much.